Hello everyone and welcome to Sam Talks Technology, your weekly guide about all things tech and business with Sam Sethi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sam Talks Technology and welcome to 2021. My first guest of the year and I'm so excited because he's also a very good friend of mine is Minta Dial. Hello Minta, how are you? Hey Sam, how are you? Happy New Year! And to you, my friend. Now, Minter is a successful author, filmographer, speaker, podcaster, and he's also multilinguistic. I have to practice that word several times because it's not easy for me to say. Minter, we're here today because you've got a fantastic new book that came out only yesterday. What's it called and what's it about? Name of the book, thank you for having me on, Sam, is called You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And it did indeed launch yesterday around the world, except for North America, which takes three more weeks. America, got to do things differently. And the book's about leadership. So the issue at some level is, well, just another book on leadership. Let's say the central premise is about leadership, starting with how you lead yourself at home with your friends, family, and at work. Because real leadership has to start with leading yourself, being the CEO of your life. Why did you write this book then? Where was the inspiration? What drove you to write this? So there's a little bit of a long answer on that one, Sam. So just to indulge me a second, I actually began writing this book in 2014. And the premise was it was going to be the book that I write. Like we all say, we have a book within us. This was going to be that book. And as such, the thesis really was, I wanted to talk about my life's learnings up until the age of 50. And naturally, those learnings had to be both at work and out of work. And so I, I started writing this book. I went off to Croatia and, and wrote 30,000 words. And then all of a sudden, bang, big piece of news drops. And I had to put the book aside. And if you can imagine, I had that specific type of process where I went into the book, big thing happens, as in someone dies or a major event. And I keep on having to put the book aside. In the interim, I've done three other books and a, and a documentary film. And finally, having got Artificial Empathy out of the way, I said, all right, I got this one in. And I got the publisher and we got moving on it on, on this leadership principle. And then I handed in my manuscript, Sam on the 7th of March. 7th of March, 2020. 2020, which basically was a week before we all went down into lockdom. And, uh, and I was like, oh my God, another big event. Cause that was a pretty big event. And, and there I was thinking, oh my gosh, it's not gonna happen again. But fortunately, I had, the team was on fellow. I got a chance to layer in some pieces that made it even more pertinent. But yet, do I feel that the concept of leadership needed to be dramatically addressed before the pandemic? And I'm delighted to feel that sort of sense of satisfaction that the pandemic has revealed even more the need for a new type of leadership in the future. And that's why I wrote the book. So you talk about a new type of leadership. What is this new type of leadership then? So on balance, the real difference between any other type of leadership where we're also talking about performance and getting people, everyone motivated, the real design here is to think about leadership being you and your personal and professional life. So absolutely taking away the wall between what usually is 
just where you have to go to work and you're strictly professional. Here, I really am opening up the kimono to the idea of bringing your whole personality to work. Now, the challenge is just finding out how much of you do you want to bring to work to provide that authentic sense of self and yet retain the privacy that is absolutely normal, the intimate, the highly confidential elements of you that you don't need to have. And the, and the challenge is inevitably is finding that cursor along the scale that allows you to be you and yet keep some secret garden that we all have private. Is this more on the basis that we are now working from home here on a zoom call with you. I can see part of your study got a glimpse into your personal life just through this small portal view that I have, which of course, if we were in an office together, I would never know that I would never know that was your top box from Eton. I'd never know Mm. that was on your shelf. So all of those things that I get little snippets, is that why you think we have to now be more authentic and meld the two, our personal and our public personas? Let's say that's the, the pandemics version. And there's another bigger piece to that, which is that finally, people are taking stock of mental health. And generally, whether it's in the army or in business, there's an element of bravado to the leadership. Suck it up. Let's go and let's get it all done and fire up the team. And yet 70% of employees systematically score themselves as being disengaged from work. So We're now in a situation where when you see me in my home, you might hear my kids, the cat might pop up on the desk. There's also behind the screen, behind the mask, some realities that this pandemic has changed. Whether or not you have a personal issue with regard to someone being sick or dying, there's just an overall malaise that's out here. And whereas before we said, whatever happens at home, keep it at home. That's, I don't want any of that soppy shit happening at work. Actually, now my work is at home. I can't extract myself from that, whether it's my tuck box or my surroundings, but more importantly, my personal well-being. And whereas before we would talk about efficiencies and effectiveness, I can actually see my bed from where I'm speaking. The way you sleep absolutely has an impact on your productivity. Mm. So why aren't we at work creating environments where people sleep better? For example, having naps. Why is it that we just have to have the Google pods or just a few of those illuminated type of companies allowing for that? Whereas we should actually be training people where you're learning for development departments aren't just about how do you do a P&L better? How do you make a product more efficient? But how do you sleep better? Because that energy that you gain, that's off the ball, I like to say. I use the analogy in sports where you say on the ball where you're at work. But off the ball counts dramatically in any sport, how you play off the ball. And I think of time away from work as off the ball. And that counts absolutely on how you are as a person, how you show up, the energy that you have, and that sense of discretionary energy that you bring to work. And that becomes a competitive advantage. I read the book, Why We Sleep Last Summer. Brilliant book and changed my productivity. I was that bravado person. I only need three hours sleep, four hours sleep. And I can do that. I've been doing that since my army days. That's the easy part. And of course, I then read the book about why we sleep. 
and the eight hours you need. And then I read the book about circadian rhythms and why mm-hmm. a nap's quite useful and when we are peak and when we're not peak. And it's changed the way I work. Is that what you're describing? That sort of productivity off the ball? Is hundred percent. The funny thing is, Sam, I got on the sleep bandwagon serendipitously when I was at university. I went to university in the States and I came across a course, the philosophy of sleep. And I was studying literature and this guy called Rosekind was on loan from Stanford and he was doing a year. And as part of his situation at Yale, he had to teach a course. And so he brought this, he'd been studying with the God of all gods of sleep research at the time, Bill DeMent. And so he brought this course and I got lucky enough to just sign up for it. And all of a sudden I took four courses all around sleep back in the eighties. And it just exposed me to, my gosh, we tell ourselves a bunch of nonsense with this sort of bravado stuff or, or just the thoughts we have. For example, Sam, and I'm going to guess that most of the people who are listening don't know this, but you know how many dreams you have in a night? I don't, but I, right. I'm guessing Let's, one or two. So, the, one or two that you remember, generally speaking. Your sleep cycles last one and a half hours on average, lots of averages in this. And then your dream period is about half of that especially at the beginning of the night. And that's called the REM sleep. And here's a funny thing. Do you think that your dreams happen in real time or in accelerated time? Never thought about it before, Winter, is my honest answer. All right. So the, bringing it down to the granular level, the 45 minutes of your dream, the issue is how you recall it. So it's all like a haze, as you recall it. And generally what people do, a kaleidoscope, the way they recall their dreams, whereas their dreams actually happen mechanically in real time. That's to say, if you imagine you're walking down a hall, your brain is sending, but it's cut off at the neck, messages to the rest of your body to walk down a hall. So as long as it takes you to walk down the hall, that's how long it happens. Anyway, there's so many wonderful things you can learn about the importance of dreaming, importance of sleep. And uh, so I, I like to bring it into the, the professional space because I think it's just another elements of our personal lives that is useful when we're in the work environment. Who are you aiming this book for? Is it just CEOs, CXOs, middle management, somebody just starting out in their career? What was the thinking behind when you started to write the book? Who were you thinking was the reader of your book? So initially, my idea, Sam, was very much the sort of the CEOs. And actually, it was all about the leaders that I'd come across and the things that I had observed that I thought could be improved. So that was where I I started from. And then it, it slowly dawned on me that really what this was about was leadership in general, which means the, the leadership, for example, of a lawyer who's a solopreneur, just works by him or herself, because really it's about leading yourself. So you don't even need to manage people to get into the interests of this book, because the, the notion is, who are you? The awareness of yourself, and that is the biggest gift of this book, really, is attempting to give permission to take the time with some tools and examples of how to do it to find out who you are. Because if you don't have that self-awareness, wherever you are, your leadership of you and the people around you will be contaminated by a difference between who you are and who you think you are. So you talk about some of the tools. We talked about sleep. What other things can I learn by reading the book that will make me a better leader? All right. So first, let's go on the big picture of what you can do personally. Things like your physical health, the way you eat, uh, the way you do sports and all these other things that aerate your mind. You need to have time for that. In fact, you also need to have time. 
And one of the biggest issues, well, the two things that we basically are horribly noxious in a business environment, one is the lack of time and two is stress. So when it comes to stress, we need to figure out how to manage the stress. Some stresses are great. If you don't have that sort of excitement, adrenaline, when you're doing something, then yeah, the chances of it working out, if you're doing a 100 meter race, not good. So you need to have some good stress. The problem is dealing with the toxic elements of it. So how do you manage that? So an example is, and of course, I'm now, let's say, surfing on a wave that's well known, but meditation, mindfulness, being present, being aware of the sour emotions in your body. Because if you're not aware of them, the chances are it will spill out and, and you, you will react in a bad way. It'll just go in a toxic environment. In terms of other frameworks, I have two other frameworks that I, I talk about in the book. And the, one of them is called the check framework. And this is maybe more specific to the work environment than per se, just the personal side, because I do also believe you have to be effective and efficient within a work environment. So I lay that out in the book. And while this acronym C-H-E-C-K, they're words, the issue is how do you make those words stick? Because throwing up a word on the wall as one does with values or whatever, duh, it doesn't necessarily mean that's happening. So each time what I did is I looked at some key thoughts that I think are attitudes that will make you a better leader. And, it, and really the groundwork for that is knowing who you are. So you need to take the time to understand who you are. There are some exercises that I have in the book that allow you to explore who you want to be, not what you want to do. And we are programmed, especially of an ilk like us, to do. That's what we've got to do, action, that's what counts, performances, numbers. Whereas what we need is to spend some time thinking about who we are. What do we feel inside? Our emotions, by the way, expressing emotions. And then who do we want to be? Because we may have not achieved what we want. We might be frustrated, but there's a big chance that you're frustrated because you never figured out or set out your North Star of who you wanted to be. So take the time. That's the second thing. Take the time to think about who you are and who you want to be, and ideally, how you're going to make the world a better place when you depart. And for those who think that death is a long way off, the fact is, as I've gotten older, i more and more understanding that it's not that long way off. And I also followed a rock and roll band for, uh, I still follow them for that matter, a long time of many times have I listened to them. But the fundamental principle, which... I really just latched onto an early age, which is once you embrace the fact that you are immortal, there's no time like now to be present because who knows what tomorrow is going to happen. And while I was following this band all this time, I certainly had a, a pivotal moment as I start off the book where I was in my office on the 19th floor in Midtown Manhattan, and I turned to the right and I see a ball of flame coming out of the Twin Towers. And my assistant walked in and basically that day was written in history. But it certainly impacted me on thinking of mortality. I had four friends who were killed. It was a dour day. Many things can one think. But for me, the big takeaway was, well, I better really lean into being more present in what I'm doing at work and in how I am as a person outside of work because that will impact me back at work. So this, think about ways to deal with stress and give yourself the time to figure out who you are and who you want to be. 
Two questions quickly. Give me the acronyms from Czech. What are they? Sure. So courage, humility, empathy, curiosity, and the last one is a K. And Sam, I'm going to try to just lean in on this one second, because if I just say it, the other words are just regular words. Yet do I believe that there is an important nuance in each of those, because I'm far from wanting the tyranny of empathy or saying it's only all about humility. You do need to act. You need to have courage to take decisions and so on. So it's about a mixture. But the K is a special one. And uh, it's the one that maybe is the standout element. And if I said the word karma, it is not about life as a bitch. It is about the intention and actions that you do. And the important part here are those, the intention. What, do you, what is your intention? Is it an honorable intention? Is it an intention to do the world a better thing? And then the actions that follow, because just sitting there and thinking, oh, it'd be a nice idea too, that, that's not enough. Having a, a nice thought is not sufficient. You do need to act because that's how you put things into motion. And that's how you get your karma. Do good and things will come back to you. Don't do good to get things come back to you. Do good and let things come back to you. I couldn't agree with you more. That's how I personally hope I lead my life. I also teach martial arts and very interesting because when you were going through the acronym of Czech, in martial arts, we have one called SIPSI. It doesn't really run off the, the tongue as much, but it stands for courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and indomitable spirit. And... Mm. Many of those same things of what yeah. I've taken from my martial arts seem to be what you're using within Czech. Sam, in that, the interesting thing is that sometimes these words are words, and ultimately what you need to do is own them and craft a definition that is meaningful. And like when we do these value stories in work, oh, I believe in integrity or I believe in family or whatever, we all have different ideas of these things. And so what I tried to do was establish the behaviors that make these attitudes come to life. So for example, curiosity, great. It's lovely to have curiosity, but if it's just endless curiosity where you have 29 million tabs open on your browser, a pile of books that goes up to the ceiling, that's not curiosity. That's, that's just too many rabbit holes because you need to move from being curious to action. So it's about containing your curiosity, having it, driving it, but also containing it and understanding that the endlessness of curiosity also has its weaknesses when you want to get shit done. Oh, God, I, I empathize with that. I've got far too many curious things I want to do, and, and actioning them is, as you say, the key to getting them done. Now, yeah. give me some examples of leaders that you think are acting in the way that you think should be in modern 2021. So give me some examples. I, if I only could, Sam, say that I had lots of them. The, the reality is that the issue with so much of this is the governance model that you have. And sometimes the governance is set in such a way that you aren't allowed to be who you are. You have too many hoops and walls and blockages that are stopping you from being the type of leader that you want to be, whether it's the culture already in the company or as the CEO, even of a big company. When you're beholden to shareholders and you're not the prime shareholder, there are things that you're limited on and depending on the type of governance and culture that you have. So for the vast majority of people, I do not see them being legitimate, genuine, authentic. And therefore you have this situation with so many employees saying that's a bunch of bullshit. And, and that's 
normal because that's how we've been programmed to do it. Well, at work, it has to be at work. I put on a tie and rah, rah. I think that's over. I, I have one person in mind. But I also think that being yourself doesn't mean I allow you to be a dick. You might be a bad person, but it shouldn't absolve you from trying to improve who you are. So that's part of the self-awareness, understanding who you are. So this is why I, for example, I'm not a big fan of Travis Kalanick. He's now saying, oh, I'm sorry, I was a bad person for 20 years. You had 20 years to figure this out, dude. You had 20 years to craft around you a network of people who said, hey, Travis, that's enough. You're being an a-hole there. Let's move back. Let's switch, change, be a better person. 20 years of ignoring any people's advice, the writing on the wall, including how you look at your mirror every morning. So you need to be improve yourself. So being authentic doesn't give you a license to be a bad person. So the person I, I, I would like to cite died, actually, at the end of last year, Tony Shea. And he struck me as the quintessential big business authentic leader. I never got a chance to meet him, so I can't really vouch for him. But from everything I read, the way he ran business was with great courage, with personal convictions that had that stamp of who he was. He was a founder. When Zappos was purchased by Amazon, he stayed with Amazon, but he stayed integral to who he was. Now, I don't know exactly the circumstances around which he died, but on balance, he was a man of conviction. A, I, I just would have loved to have had dinner with him and just shot the shit with him because he's that kind of an individual. And on top of that, supremely successful. So a lot of times the issue becomes, oh, you can't be nice and successful. I disagree. And I think that's the future. It's fine. And I don't mean nice and very informal component. There's elements of doing good. And sometimes you need to take tough decisions. But on balance, having that strong intention of making the world a better place, that's the nice that I'm talking about. Tony Shea was a massive leader book about Zappos, had some great stories about how he started the company, but also his attention to detail. Somebody sent in a customer request saying that they got the wrong size. He picked it up from the warehouse. He drove himself overnight, delivered it the next morning, excelled this customer's expectations of what Zappos was and what it was delivering. And of course, that becomes an urban myth or, or a story mm -hmm. that goes around the internet. Yes, he was a wonderful person. The person who in modern day, I think, and again, I've never had the privilege of meeting, but is a Satya Nadale at yeah. Microsoft. I get the essence and sense from reading him and watching his videos and the way he's turned around Microsoft. Being an ex-Microsoft person, <laughs> I knew the old culture of Microsoft. Steve Clayton, who's a friend of mine, is one of the people responsible with helping to change the culture in Microsoft. And I think they've turned it around. They Microsoft became a rudderless company after Gates left and Barmer just banged the drum. He was the worst type of leader, in my opinion. And Sachin Nadali came in with a soft voice, but a velvet. My wife is often described as an iron fist inside a velvet glove. And that is what I think sometimes in terms of leadership. She never raises her voice. But she's just very assured, very calm. But at the same time, she'll always get the point across. And I think Satya Nadali, I never get the feeling that he's one of the tub thumpers hitting the desk or screaming at people. Mm. I just think he comes across as authentic. And so maybe that's one person that I would liken mm. to what you're describing. Totally. And again, the issue, like, like you're saying, is it's hard to really 
gauge somebody for being true without really knowing them. I interviewed last year a friend of mine called Bob Bejan, who's responsible for all events at Microsoft and was of the same ilk as Satya Nadella at the beginning of his Microsoft career. And so he, in our chat, we did talk about him quite a lot. He, he's, every day he talks with him. So that's as close as I can get to him. And he talks about him in the same kind of vein. And the funny thing is, I got a bee in my bonnet about Indian leadership. And so obviously karma might have an element within that. But what is it about the certain type of leaderships, whether it's the lady who ran Pepsi, Indra, Nuri, or Satya, or there's dozens of large companies that are run by Indians in the United States. Google being one. For example, there's so many. And so I wonder what it is. And of course, there's, there are different stories as to why that works. But I do believe that there's philosophically something to being a sound person as well as professional. Being an Indian myself, I can't give you an answer, but I do know that my parents gave me family grounded values. Lots of non-Indian people have the same values. I'm not saying it's Mm -hmm. a a specific Indian trait, but I do know culturally we value our family very highly. We respect our elders. We think of education as a gift and we work hard. When you think of top to bottom, if I said to somebody, is the corner shop being open on a Sunday at four in the afternoon? Who's running it? It'll be an Indian. Is the gas station running? But then you can go through many other examples all the way up to the top of the tree, as we mm. described. I don't know. Maybe there's a billion Indians and we're only looking at 1% of them. So it yeah, could that, be just- when I talked with Amit Varma, our friend in common, who runs the scene in the unseen, we talked about that. And he said, well, the fact is there's a billion, 300,000 of us or whatever it is. And for just from a numerical standpoint, yet I think like why the All Blacks dominant in New Zealand, you don't need this big group. And I think there is some cultural elements to it. And there's an over-representation at the top because- Hell, there are other countries that have a billion, was one other country has a billion people, and I don't see them at the top of the companies in the United States. No, that's true. Now, moving this forward, the book's available. Where can I get the book and how can I get the book? So there's a a little company out of Seattle that tends to sell a few books, and that is the primary one, Amazon. And I would love it if you do that. If you buy it, you can get any, there's three different versions, audio, Kindle, and paperback. Actually, there's a hardcover back for craziness. And please do think about writing rating and review should you get it. There are a bunch of other ways to get the book because not everybody is enthralled with Amazon. And the the site that, I mean, what is Blackwell's, many other, Kogan's own page, Kogan pages have a, a version as well with a discount. But the other one I wanted to talk about is bookshop.org. And bookshop.org is a new initiative that came out of the United States essentially last year, which supports independent bookstores and it helps them. It's coming to Britain shortly, but that's a a site that I'm trying to at least raise awareness on. And of course, you lead and my other books are listed on that as well. Now, where can we see you next talking about the book? I'll be speaking at the Real Time Club run by the wonderful Dr. John Collins. And then amongst other things, I've started a program with uh, Stephen Gresty, an old collaborator, colleague from my L'Oreal days, but a true wonderful friend and supporter of the right football team. Exactly. He and I are going to be doing some sessions, seminars and the likes online and offline. This one's January 26th at 4 p.m. UK time, GMT. It's called the Connected Leaders Experience. And something that I'm trying to do, Sam, more and more is move from just a boring old bloody Zoom 
or a reproduction of what I do offline into the online to try to create different types of experiences where using what digital can provide to create a really much more engaging, motivating, energizing experience. And so January 26th promises to be hopefully one of those. We're really going to experiment, push it out and create an experience. It's free. Uh, it's one hour long. And you can sign up by going on my site, minterdial.com. Uh, there's a bunch of resources and you'll find the Connected Leaders tab uh, under resources. Brilliant. Now, it leaves me just to say thank you so much for your time, Minter. It's fascinating. I have read the book, so thank you very much for sending me an early copy. It is full jam-packed with things that you can learn and do to help you become the leader you want to be. Minter Dahl, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. Don't forget to visit samtalks.technology to discover more great shows. See you next week, same time, same place.